This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I know for sure that at least one listener out there in Zoomerland will be very happy with my first choice tonight, a tip of the hat to Julia, who wrote to tell me she's a huge fan of the show, particularly sci-fi programs like X-1. X-1 aired on NBC from April of 1955 until January of 58 for a total of 124 episodes. Now, the show occupied numerous time slots throughout its run in the 50s, and thus was never able to generate a large following. The stories for the show came from two of the most popular science fiction magazines at the time, Astounding and Galaxy. Adaptations of these stories were performed by Ernest Canoy and George Lefertz. They even wrote a few original stories of their own. The writers of the magazine stories were not well-known then, but now are the giants. These stories came from the minds of Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, and Kurt Vonnegut, to name a few. And tonight's episode, it's entitled The Sea Shoot. A group of humans have been captured by aliens and plan to take control of their spaceship once again. Listen in. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot, by Isaac Asimov. We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us coming home as passengers aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the Second Interstellar War, one between Earth and the planet Chloral. And then it happened. Uh, 
Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a Chloran battlecruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the Chloran cruiser. The murderous running duel of energy blasts and force field defenses. We huddled in the passengers' after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then... Now what? Uh, beginning of the end, you might call it. Well, what does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But All right, don't we... worry. They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. If they choose to fight, they'll... Now, they're coming aboard. Now, be very still. Oh, mother in heaven, help Would us. You be still. If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't let them die. You can't help them. I'm going. I don't stop, stop him. All right. Aristide, shut the door quickly. Aristide, my brother. That poor fool. I'll get them. My brother, I swear to you, I'll get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. The brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts. I ought to strangle you. Why not save it for the chloros? I will. I promise you I will. They're probably deciding right now what to do with us. Might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us and listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarchitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Polly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc, a sensitive, frightened young man of 22, and Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper. A mild, balding, milk-toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It's quiet now. Yeah, they finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloras will stay aboard. Uh, two is all they'll need. <laughs> Why, Colonel? You're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Well, simply a point of information, dash it. All right, then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door. It smells like gas. Yeah, it is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole cruise compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. So just forget about rushing the chloros. 
How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived on a chloral planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these artoplasm things and operated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again. Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they, will they kill us? No. Why do you say that? Because in their own way, they're gentlemen. Probably will be interned for the duration. You call them gentlemen. After they kill my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen. You know, Stuart, you sound more and more like a blasted greeny sympathizer. Blasted, man. Where's your patriotism and loyalty? My loyalty is where it belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten greeny scum. Holy... Mullen, grab him. I can't break his hold. They are coming in. Holy, let him go. They saved your life this time. But then I'm finished with them. What? I think they're opening the lock. So don't get between us. Holy, don't lose your head. They'll kill us all. was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to him. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a spacesuit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchite's eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro. <laughs> something for Mr. Polly Arcady? Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. Yes. That's good. Hi, Polly. Can you hear me, you stupid brute? His voice is coming back. Now, I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. You think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know... The chloros, the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. And if one of us did any harm to another, 
They'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts. A non-functioning group. So call all the names you want. But keep your hands to yourself or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. Polyarchitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. He was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non-entity. A mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush. How long did you say the trip would take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the chloro said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some... Some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros. The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh, but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only well, two. Before I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is a way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. LeBlanc? I have a wife waiting on Earth, Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die. Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about you, Mullen? I don't see how we could accomplish it without... Uh-huh. Hero number two. Well, Paul Yarkidis. When I kill Chloros, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Uh-huh. Three down. Well, Colonel, don't you want to march to glory, an old militia man like you? Your attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stuart. I see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero. Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? If this compartment has a sea chute, it must. What is a, a, a sea chute? A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse. Burial in space. Oh, blasted Mullen. Uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen. What do you know about steam tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper. Well... On Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I, I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. And the chloros, they are in the control room. Uh, what do you think, Stuart? Well, it's a video sort of idea, but it might just work. We could get permission from the chloros to open the sea chute and bury Polly's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tubes. The question being, which one? What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Paulie. I've already said that. My object is to stay alive. The steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be boiled like a lobster. Now, how about the colonel here? If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial hands. Well, now, what unfortunate deformities do the rest of us have? 
Polly? You just keep talking, Mr. Big Mouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in. Of course, that's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, can you do it? I I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I, I cannot. LeBlanc needn't go. I'll do it. What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes. Well, how? I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it. It seems no one else will do it. But that's no reason, man. I can't think of any other. Uh, look here. You really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an earthman by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. <laughs> It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel pupped his hand. Polyakita seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No, nothing else. Thank you. Oh, boy. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mulling. Get into a space suit from the emergency locker. Holy help mom with those magnetic boots. Hurry. I'm working as fast as I can. The arm. There. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet. Okay. Now, Mullen, you better scratch your nose if you have to. It's your last chance for a while. What about radio contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits. The chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Dash it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded. Oh, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, give them one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen, if your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. See that? Now, you can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand? Uh, I think so. Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means they've opened the lock. Here. Can you hear me? LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes. Yeah. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen? I hear you. Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh Uh-huh. Polly, open the sea chute. Okay, now help him in. All ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Pull the ejector valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The floors have closed the chute lock. I, I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think, uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. I just don't know. 
should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio? Yes, I think. Wait a minute. What is it? It's Toro's coming. Good Lord. He's sure to miss Mullen. Yeah, Polly, get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Holy, for heaven's sake. My brother. Right, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and Very risk well. His... I will do it. Earthman. Yes. You have jettisoned the body? Yes. Good. Is there something further we can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone. I will respect your wishes. I see that one of your units sleeps already. Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Holy, I thought, sure, you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess... I guess I've been saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. <clears throat> you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship. All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes? I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when I get inside. Be careful. I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs they use to repair the inside. And keep in contact. I'm in the tube now. Good Lord. They've let go with a blast. Oh, well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen. Still here. Oh. They use the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for over-deflection... Yeah, keep moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small metal door there. Can you feel it? Yes, I... I'm afraid it's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it. Mullen. Mullen, listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now, aim for the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. Will you do that? I, I'll try. Well, now go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now start banging. Any luck? No, I... Wait, I, I hear something. Something's opening the lock. The door now. I hear... Ah! Mullen. Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me? Mullen! 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 Mullen, it's no use. They must have gotten him. Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean, maybe he is not dead. Well, well, then maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the claw. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I, I would be willing to take the chance. You? Why not? I could try. Not you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now listen, listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Twenty minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other. Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh? Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough. Ready? Ready. Ready. Here goes. That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh. It's at the door. Yes, ready. It's opening the lock. The poor old Mullen now. Yeah, steady. No! Let him have it! Wait! Stop it! It's not the claw! Wait! Good Lord! It's Mullen! Hey, get, get the helmet off! That's it! I the lift! Mullen! Mullen, are you all right? I, I seem to be. Quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. What happened? Well, I banged on the steam tube hatch and the chloro opened. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. Must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I, I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison. Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I, I... Mullen, what is it? An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship, headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative, or so I thought until the cabin door opened. Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed. No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? Oh, no, not at all. Sit down. Well, I guess, uh, I owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. <laughs> no, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another. For years now, I've abandoned hope to finding any decency in human beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I, I didn't do it for any 
heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. But why did you do it, Lord? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years. Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, haven't you ever been homesick? have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp, a story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Isaac Asimov, and adapted for radio by George Leffert. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ocko, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCoy. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for a trip to Madison High to see what hijinks our Miss Brooks and the gang are up to tonight. Time now for Eve Arden to star as Our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. She's very fond of her pupils, and they're very fond of her. She's also very fond of biology teacher Philip Boynton, and he's very fond of his frogs and guinea pigs. This absorption in his laboratory is largely due to Mr. Boynton's natural shyness. Well, that is to say that he's shy in the world of reality. But in the dreams of our Miss Brooks, Philip Boynton is every bit as ardent and attentive as any woman could desire. Let's listen. Oh, my darling Constance. You're so lovely, so desirable. I feel I could fly on the wings of our love. Won't you join me, Constance, on a flight to paradise? Contact. <laughs> uh, I must pause for a moment, my darling. You know why? The station identification. <laughs> I want to look at you again before I kiss you. And if you notice anything strange in my eyes, dearest, it's stardust. Well, sweep it under your lids and let's get going. <laughs> oh, isn't it wonderful, Connie? Just you and I alone in our dream house. Yes, it is, Philip. And if anyone comes calling, we'll refuse to answer the doorbell. Sorry, wrong number. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, alarm clock. Oh, you win. Quiet. If I could have slept a few more minutes, that dream might have gotten the Academy Award. <laughs> Come in. 
Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. I've brought you a little breakfast tray. Hope you like the surprise recipe on it. Another surprise recipe? I'm still trying to get used to the last one. <laughs> Rye crisp boiled in breadcrumbs. <laughs> Anything like that, Connie. This is a famous Alaskan dish. Want to know what it consists of? No, what? It's very simple. You just take a pound of frozen whale meat, thaw it out, <laughs> roll into patties, and fry in deep seal fat. <laughs> what do you call this Eskimo's delight? Blubber burger. <laughs> Blubber burger? Yes. Of course, not everyone can enjoy them at first eating. How do you stand on the whale meat, Connie? I really don't know, Mrs. Davis. I've never stood on any. <laughs> it was nice of you to bring a tray into my room, Mrs. Davis, but I'd rather have breakfast out here in the dinette with you. Oh, thank you, Connie. But you haven't had a thing but a glass of milk. I know. You can't fry that. <laughs> <laughs> That is, I didn't feel very hungry. Oh, that's too bad. Today of all days. What's so special about today? Don't you know? Let's see. Oh, certainly. Yesterday was payday, so today must be rent day. What do I owe you, Mrs. Davis? I'm not worried about the rent, Connie, although I could use a small loan. How much? Well, five dollars would do nicely. It's for a donation I promised the ailing newsboys fund. All right, Mrs. Davis, I can let you have five dollars. You sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payment on my car might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. <laughs> I've had my eye on a bag in Justin's department store, and I've decided to throw caution to the winds and buy it this afternoon. The one you told me about? Green alligator skin? That's the one. Of course, I'll have to postpone a lot of my time payments. The car, my coat, the watch I bought for Mr. Boynton, but it's worth it. Wait till you see that bag, Mrs. Davis. But what about your creditors? What will you tell them? I'll write them all polite letters. Letters? What'll you say? Oh, I'll think of something. I'm an English teacher, ain't I? I mean, uh... <laughs> Aren't I? Uh, am I not? <laughs> you certainly must have your heart set on that bag. Oh, I have. Do you think Mr. Boynton will like it? He likes frogs and lizards and things. <laughs> then this alligator bag ought to be right up his alley. Lucky alligator bag to be up an alley with Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Oh, that must be Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. I'll be there in a minute, Walter. Is your car in the repair shop again, Connie? Yes, the garage says they just have to get one more part for the car before I can drive it again. What part is that? A motor. <laughs> Hello, Walter. Come in. Thanks, Miss Brooks. I just came in to tell you to be sure and bring a coat with you this morning. It's colder than a school teacher's heart out. I mean, some school teachers' hearts, Miss Brooks. <laughs> You're a warm one. <laughs> Thanks, Walter. You can butter me up on the way to school. I'll go get a coat. I'll just be a few minutes. Did someone let that cat in again? It's me, Mrs. Davis. Oh, Walter, I'm glad you came in. We've got to make arrangements for the surprise party. Does she know it's her birthday? No, just like last year. She's forgotten about it completely. Well, then the party will go over that much bigger. Did you find out what she wants? Yes, I did, Walter. It's a green bag in Justin's, but she's threatened to buy it for herself. Golly, that's no good. I know. So I've thought up this scheme. 
If we all borrow some money from her, she won't be able to buy it. <laughs> then we can give it to her for a present. I'll call the Conklins and tell them to be sure and borrow something from Miss Brooks when she gets to school. Good. She's so soft-hearted, she'll never turn anybody down, as long as there's a hard luck story with it. And I'll put the bite on her and... I mean, I'll borrow something on our way to school. <laughs> oh, uh, here she comes. I'll go back into the kitchen. I don't want her to think we've been conspiring. Okay, Mrs. Davis. Well, that wasn't such a long wait, was it, Walter? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. Gosh, that's a nice coat. Well, when did you buy that? Within the next 18 months. <laughs> Let's hurry, Walter. I couldn't touch a morsel of Mrs. Davis's breakfast. I'd like to get a bite on our way. Don't worry. You will. <laughs> Palmolive Soap is giving away prizes worth $67,000. A grand prize of $25,000 in one lump sum, or $100 a month for life. And that's not all. There are over 2,000 prizes in Palmolive's big treasure chest contest. Ford sedan, Westinghouse laundromat, from Silver Fox scarves, Toast Master toasters, and it's easy to enter. Complete the last line of this jingle. A fresher, brighter-looking skin is something I would like to win. I'll get Palmolive Soap today. Write your last line on a plain sheet of paper or use an official entry blank giving complete rules obtainable at your dealers. Include your own and dealer's name and address and mail with the big word palm olive from the front of the wrapper of one regular and one bath size cake of palm olive soap to palm olive, box 92, New York 8, New York. Now here's the jingle once more. A fresher, brighter looking skin is something I would like to win. I'll get palm olive soap today. Da 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 da. Mail your entry to Palm Olive, Box 92, New York 8, New York. Get palm olive soap for a lovelier complexion. Remember, doctors prove palm olive's beauty results. I just had a tune up job done in the car, Miss Brooks. Runs pretty smooth, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Walter. What kind of a car was this? Uh, is this? A 1938 Hudson. Hmm. Certainly held together for the past ten years. So have you, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Not that I'm comparing you with a car or anything, but, well, you're still so youthful. Nature's treated you extremely well. Why, you haven't even got any crow's feet. Nature probably knows I can't afford shoes for them. <laughs> I don't like to keep bothering you with my personal problems, Miss Brooks, but could I once more? Could you once more what, Walter? bother you with a personal problem. It's about a financial matter. What kind of a financial matter? A loan. Are you asking me or telling me? <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, I'm telling you. I'm broke. Really? How long have you been a school teacher? Well, I'm serious. I've just got to get some money somewhere. It isn't like it was for myself. I wouldn't even ask if it was for myself. Who is it for? It's for a friend of mine. He's a He's an ice man, and his horse fell down the other day, and he's laid up in the barn now, and my friend hasn't been able to sell any ice. Oh, that's too bad, Walter. He doesn't know when the horse will be on his feet again, and he's just had a baby. The horse? No, the ice man. <laughs> well, that's a switch. His wife baby, you see, and they haven't got enough money to buy milk to feed it, well, let alone the other seven children in the family, plus oats. sad, <laughs> Miss Brooks? Saddest thing since Camille. <laughs> How much do you want to borrow, Walter? Five dollars would help a lot. Okay, here you are. Gosh, thanks. Are you sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it, Walter. 
the people who sold me this coat may miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Thanks again. You don't know what this money will do for these people. And you'll get it back just as soon as my friend's foot heals. Your friend's foot? I thought it was the horse who fell. The horse? Oh, sure. But didn't I tell you? When the horse fell, my friend tried to lift him up and sprained his own ankle. Oh, great. Between his sick horse, sprained ankle, and having a baby, your friend is the busiest ice man I ever knew. <laughs> well, we're right near school. Oh, gosh, I got so wound up talking about my poor friend, I forgot to stop and let you get some breakfast. Well, after that story, Walter, I'd feel guilty eating anything but hay. <laughs> I'll have an early lunch in the cafeteria. Okay, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are. Thanks, Walter. Say, isn't that Harriet Conklin going up the steps? Yeah, that's Harriet. Oh, you better hurry. She's anxious to talk to you. How can you tell from the back of her neck? I'm psychic about some things. Go ahead, Miss Brooks. All right, Walter. See you later. Good morning, Harriet. Oh, good morning, Miss Brooks. I'm so glad we bumped into each other before school starts. I've been very anxious to talk to you. Walter is psychic at that, among other things. What did you want to talk to me about? Well, it's rather embarrassing. Not that you're hard to talk to or anything, but... Golly, I just don't know how to say it now that we're face to face. Well, we'd look pretty silly chatting back to back. (laughs) What seems to be the trouble? Well, it's really not my trouble, Miss Brooks. It's just that I've got to get some financial assistance for a friend in need. What friend, Harriet? Well, it's a little boy I know. He comes from a very poor family, and in order to help his folks, he shines shoes after school. Now, he's got a little dog that helped him get his business started. What did he do, put up the money? (laughs) No, Miss Brooks. He used to do tricks and attract customers, but just the other day he fell down and hurt his foot. Now, the poor little dog can't even get downtown anymore. Well, I can get him a lift downtown if he doesn't mind riding on a lame horse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't either, but how much do you want to borrow? Well, right after he was hurt, they took the little dog to a hospital, and the bill there was $8. He must have had a semi-private room. (laughs) Well, here's the $8, Harriet. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. You sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payment on my watch might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Anyway, I still have enough left to pick up that bag at Justin's this afternoon. Yeah? Oh, I mean, what bag? A green alligator job that I've had my eye on for weeks. Oh. Well, before you go to your room, Daddy would like you to stop in at his office. Uh Uh-oh. What have I done now? Why should you think you've done something, Miss Brooks? Golly, just because Daddy's a principal is no reason for anybody to be afraid of him. No, maybe you're right, Harriet. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Morning, Daddy. See you later, Miss Brooks. Bye, Harriet. Will you uh, step into my office a moment, Miss Brooks? Certainly, Mr. Conklin. Ah, at ease. Uh, (laughs) Have a chair. Yes, sir. As you know, I was a major in the last war. Spent almost four years in charge of the post exchange at Camp Fabric, Ohio. Stout fella. (laughs) Yes, although I've been returned to the arms of my loved ones for over two years now, I opened my last box of Hershey's in 46. I must confess there are aspects of military life which bear remembering. Such as? Oh, the camaraderie, esprit de corps. Don't you agree, Miss Brooks? Oui, mon capitaine. (laughs) Now, you've been teaching at Madison High for over five years, haven't you? That's right, Mr. Conklin. 
And in that time, I've had a lot of esprit de corps, but very few raises. I think the last one was uh, way now, back in... let's not talk shop, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I realize that you haven't had a raise in some time, but after all, it's a universal complaint these days, and one which can't be remedied overnight. Meanwhile, you get by very nicely on the money you earn, don't you? Well, speaking frankly... Well, that's the only way to speak, Miss Brooks. <laughs> now, if you don't mind, I'll come to the point. I've got to have some financial assistance for a friend of mine in distress. Another one? <laughs> this poor chap was one of my GI assistants during the war. Just a corporal, but I recommended him for a War Department citation. Really? Yes. You never saw anyone fill a Coke machine like this lad. <laughs> As for stacking Kleenex boxes... Ah! Oh. <laughs> well... <laughs> after the war, he got married and started to raise a family. That was three years ago, but luck didn't favor this boy. He lost one job after another. Things went from bad to worse. You mean he became a teacher? <laughs> no laughing matter, Miss Brooks. He's just written me that his wife is going to have another baby. They're four. In three years? Uh, there's a set of twins. <laughs> In any event, he's desperate. He can't even afford a hospital room for his wife. Well, I know where there's a semi-private room if she doesn't mind dogs. <laughs> I mean, how much would you like to borrow, Mr. Conklin? Well, I've asked many of my friends for five or ten dollars. I see. Well, I get but that. But you're it's... such an old friend, Miss Brooks, I feel that I can ask you for fifteen. Before our friendship gets any older, here's the fifteen dollars. <laughs> oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. You're sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. People I owe a repair bill on my car might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. Very well. That'll be all, then. Dismissed. Oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks, but may I sit at this table with you? The school cafeteria is pretty crowded today. Oh, sit down, Mr. Boynton. You'll forgive me if I go ahead with my lunch. Oh, of course. I want to eat this salad while it's still warm. <laughs> there, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Yes, Mr. Boynton? I've heard from many people how generous and warm-hearted you are under your veneer of seeming sophistication. Of course, I've always known that you're true blue, 100% human being, deep down below the surface. Why, Mr. Boynton, you've been peeking at my x-rays. <laughs> I'm serious. I know that I can appeal to you for assistance without fear of embarrassment. And I know when you hear my story, you'll want to help. Et tu, Boynton? <laughs> well, what's your story? Well, I have this friend who's also a biologist. From a poor family? No, no, his family's very wealthy, as a matter of fact. But he's married and has seven children and one on the way. No, he's a single chap. <laughs> but he's got a bad sickness. No, no, he's in the pink of condition. Oh, wait a minute, I know. His little puppy broke its leg. Oh, he hasn't any puppy, but his great Dane just won a blue ribbon. Wrong again. But give that lady a box of Red Heart and two tickets to next week's flea circus. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, I'll bet your friend's horse is so lame he can't even ride him to work, hmm? Well, my friend drives a Cadillac. Uh, uh, if you'll just let me finish, I'll be as brief as possible. You see, he's leaving town. He's got about 30 white mice and frogs that he wants to give me. Oh, so that's it. They're sick. Oh, no, not at all. They're wonderful specimens. But they're orphans. Please, Miss Brooks, what I'm trying to tell you is that 
I'll need about $20 for the added equipment it'll require to house them. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Here, Mr. Boynton, here's $18. It's all I have left. Let a couple of the mice double up. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Brooks. I certainly appreciate this, but are you sure you won't miss it? No, I won't miss it. The people I owe the payments on my car, watch, and coat might miss it, but I'll take care of that later. There's only one thing that's not going to be put off, Mr. Boynton. Oh, what's that? A green alligator bag I've got my deep-down-underneath little warm heart set on. My first stop after school will be the nearest bank that lends money. Attention, quiet, please. Now then, Harriet, it was your idea to have this surprise party for Miss Brooks. Suppose you outline the plan. All right, Daddy. First of all, did we all borrow enough from Miss Brooks to keep her from getting that bag she wants? Mrs. Davis and I took $5 each from her. I nailed her for a... Uh, that is... <laughs> I appropriated 15 And she loaned me $18. Good for you, Mr. Boynton. I'm afraid it's not good enough, Mr. Conklin. She told me at lunch she was going to the bank and borrow the money for the bag. Oh, golly, that'll spoil everything. I know. Why don't we call the store and tell them under no circumstances to sell her that bag? Tell them uh, we're buying it. Excellent, Walter. It's a wonder that that agile mind of yours doesn't function quite so efficaciously in the schoolroom. Gosh, thanks, Mr. Conklin. down to the store, pick up the bag, and take it home. Now, who'll get Miss Brooks and bring her over to our house? Oh, I will. I'll call for her at about five o'clock and bring her over to your house at six. Fine. Now, synchronize watches, everybody. <laughs> Let's see. Confidential loan department. This is it. Uh, pardon me. I've read your ad, but I'd still like to be assured that any business we transact will be strictly confidential. You may be quite certain of that, miss. (laughs) What? I said we treat all our transactions with the utmost secrecy. Well, you can let me in on it. I'd like to borrow about $35. Yes, ma'am. What is your occupation, please? I'm a school teacher. How long have you been teaching and at what school, please? Five years at Madison High. (laughs) And how do you sound when you've got laryngitis? Comical. <laughs> you write your name and address down, and I'll get you the money. Is that all there is to it? Yes, we don't believe in a lot of red tape. Oh. All you have to do is sign a few papers. First here. Yes. Now here. Right. Now this one. There you are. Now here. Mm-hmm. And here. Again. And this one. Yes. Now we'll start on the second page. <laughs> Here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. Can I help you, madam? It's Miss, Miss Brooks. I'd like to see an item your department has been featuring in your window display. Uh, what item is that, Miss Brooks? It's a green alligator. What? A green alligator. I've seen it in your window every day for weeks now. Have you ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> you mean to tell me you don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. You know you don't know what you're talking about, don't you? Or do you? <laughs> of course I do. 
Let's start all over again. There's a purse made of green alligator skin that's been in your window. Oh, that thing. Oh, you wouldn't want to own that. Why, it wouldn't do a thing for you. It wouldn't have to. I've got a job. (laughs) May I see it, please? Uh, uh, funny thing about that model, I sold the last one not a half hour ago to, uh, uh, Miss H. Conklin, I believe. Well, couldn't you get one just like it if I... H. Conklin? That's Harriet. Why, that little demon. Maybe if I get her another bag, she'll trade me the green one. Now she wears a lot of green. Besides, she has alligator shoes, too. Well, I might as well go over to her house and see what I can do anyway. Um, I didn't mean to eavesdrop on your monologue. But, uh, H. Conklin won't be home for a while. She said she had a lot of shopping to do. And then she's going to get a manicure at Antoine's. Well, I'll go to her house and wait. Thank you, and good day, J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) Coming! Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Is Harriet at home? Why, no, Miss Brooks. She's out doing some last-minute shopping for the... Miss Brooks! Isn't it terribly early? I mean, um, with the days getting shorter all the time, it seems like about five o'clock. It is five o'clock. May I come in, Mrs. Conklin? Oh, of course. Who's that at the door, Martha? Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Martha, did Harriet get back with all... Miss Brooks! (laughs) Isn't it a little early? I mean, it only seems like five o'clock. Five one. Osgood, I'd like to talk to you. Yes, yes. Will you excuse us, please, Miss Brooks? Surely. What happened? Why did you so early? Well, I don't know what it was. Somebody must have slipped up. That's all I've got to say. I wonder if they've had a confidential loan lately. I'll be right there. Hello, Walter. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. I got all the stuff. Funny hats, noisemakers, confetti, and streamers. Oh, come on in the living room and we'll start decorating the place. Uh, but, Walter, uh, look who's here, Walter. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Walter. Now, we'll take the streamers and we'll start in this corner of the room and we'll... Miss <laughs> Brooks! <laughs> when you hear the tone, the time will be 5-2. This one's on me. <laughs> Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. I, I was just over to Mrs. Davis's house, but you... Say no uh, more. Say no more, Boynton. Come into the living room. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Hi. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conklin. Walter. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss, Miss Brooks. As I started to say, Mr. Conklin, I went over to Mrs. Davis's to pick up Miss Brooks, but she... Miss Brooks! <laughs> I know I'm terribly early, but I wish I knew for what. <laughs> I'll answer it. Must be Harriet. Hello, dear. Mrs. Davis. Come in, won't you? I got the bag, Mother, and I had it gift wrapped. Oh, it looks just super. I brought the cake, Martha. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Harriet. Hello, hello Miss Brooks. Brooks. Well, there's nothing else that we can do now but wait. Miss Brooks! If somebody says Miss Brooks once more, I'm going to change my name to Lucy Pumpernickel. <laughs> cat's out of the bag now, we might as well tell Miss Brooks, this little gathering is in honor of your birthday. My birthday? How do you like that? I forgot it again. Miss Brooks, as a token of our esteem and affection, may we present you with this little gift. Go on, Miss Brooks, open it. The gift is something you've wanted for a long time, Connie. Oh, the green alligator bag. So that's why everybody borrowed money from me today. <laughs> that's right. We, we didn't want you to get it for yourself. 
Well, this is certainly the nicest present anybody ever bought me, with or without my money. <laughs> oh, we didn't get this with your money, Miss Brooks. Look inside the purse. Why? Oh, what's this? Five, ten, twenty? It's all here. That's right, Miss Brooks. Well, now that we all know it's your birthday, suppose you tell us how old you are. <laughs> Happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me, happy birthday, our Miss Brooks, happy birthday to you. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. So, you see, I won't need the $35 I borrowed from you people yesterday. Here it is. Fine. The interest is practically nothing. Oh, that's nice. May I have a receipt, please? Of course. Just sign here. Yes. And here. Yes. And here. Yes. And here. And here. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.